I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Thursday, May 19th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Brett, business, finance, and tech all do come together with a story that I read today that Alberta has attracted a record amount of venture capital in the last quarter, totaling $466 million worth of investment. Most of that going to Calgary. Are we talking about a new tech hub in Canada that does not start with Toronto or Vancouver? I think Calgary has been a longtime tech hub. You're not giving them enough credit. But yeah, they had a huge year. And that's great to see because Alberta in particular has been going through a tough transition as we kind of or hopefully move away from fossil fuels to clean energy. And so to see a thriving tech ecosystem there sure does help. And the government's put a lot of effort into that too. They've invested a bunch into it and they've really tried to make a place that people want to work and start companies. So it's good to see. Well, I sense a peak event coming to Calgary sometime soon. We'll be recording this podcast live from there one day. I've got to ask though, Jay, do you like Calgary? I do. I've been there twice. I do like it. I would say both were on edge weather seasons and it was not great the two times I was there, but I do like the vibe. I do like the downtown and they have the walking path, which I'm going to script. It's called like plus 18. So it's like on the first floor and you sort of get connect a bunch of downtown buildings. It's like the path in Toronto, but elevated. Yeah. It's an elevated path, which is actually much nicer because there's light. But no, I like Calgary. Calgary is nice. Calgary reminds me a lot of Ottawa. But the most important thing is that the Calgary Stampede is the best event in Canada. It's better than any other event. It's the most fun of anything you can do in Canada. So I, I highly recommend the Stampede if you're going to Calgary. So the peak daily goes to the Stampede. Is that what we're talking about? Well, yeah, Jay, we got to do, we got to have a big year for that to happen. <laughs> Brett, aside from us going to the Stampede this July, what do we have for Peak Bells today? For our first story, equal pay. For our second story, crypto chaos. And for our third story, big bankruptcies. For our first story. U.S. soccer scored a big goal for wage equity, reaching an historic equal pay agreement with its men's and women's national teams. This, according to a story in the New York Times, Brett, this feels like it should have happened a long time ago. I know it's been brewing for a long time. What are the details behind this new deal? Well, it's probably a good place to start with is the history. So it's been a six-year legal battle over gender discrimination between the U.S. women's national soccer team and its governing body, resulting in a $24 million settlement this past February and a pledge from U.S. soccer to equalize pay that pledge, it's finally been fulfilled. This agreement is designed to eliminate pay and equity by paying both men and women players the same roster appearance fees and performance payments for matches while creating a pooled system where teams share prize money won at tournaments, including the World Cup. It's kind of like one step forward, two steps back type of thing here, though. While U.S. soccer is committed to fighting pay inequity, FIFA will actually increase the gap in prize money awarded for 2022 Men's World Cup, which is rising by $40 million. And they're committed to at least doubling the prize money for the 2023 Women's World Cup. But there's still going to be a, a gap in prize money there. And Jay, that brings us to why PeakPal should care about U.S. soccer's pay equity. Just about that FIFA thing. There's a very good chance the U.S. women's soccer team will win. There's absolutely no chance the men's U.S. soccer team will win. So the U.S. women well, I, have a better shot I, I, to have money than the I, U.S. women. I, I got to dispute. I got to dispute that. I, you know, I think there is a chance that the U.S. women's soccer team could win. I think there's probably a better chance that the Canadian women's soccer team would win. Oh, I see what you're doing there. Well, no one is asking women to get compensated equally to men just because like the NBA generated $8.6 billion in 2020, while the WNBA generated almost just $60 million. So it makes sense why NBA players are getting paid more. But when you're doing equal work, generating money and performing at the same level, or in this case, way, way better, the women's soccer team in the US is just way better, equal pay makes sense. 
So hat tip to Abby Wambach and Megan Rapino and the rest who started this battle many, many years ago. I'm a very big fan. I've seen many women's soccer games, uh, including one in Montreal where my sister, my sister-in-law and I raised the roof by playing drums for the full 90 minutes. I believe that we will win. <laughs> there you go, Brett. Big fan, I see. <laughs> For our second story, with $1.6 trillion of cryptocurrencies market cap wiped out since its November highs, investors, celebrity endorsers, and regulators alike are reckoning with the industry's increasingly uncertain future. It's been a rough ride in crypto world. Jay, I've been on the front lines of that. Do you want to get the peak pals caught up on what's been going on? <laughs> rough ride is really underselling what it's been, Brett. The enthusiasm for crypto generated by self-made millionaires and Hollywood celebrities has gone noticeably quiet amid the recent market meltdown sparked by tightening financial conditions and interest rate hikes and a stable coin sell-off that had wide-ranging consequences for all major tokens. So Matt Damon and LeBron James, you might remember, were paid millions to take to the screening commercials for Crypto.com while Reese Witherspoon hyped up her own cryptocurrency on Twitter. They all gained criticism for boosting crypto without highlighting the risks. Sam Bankman-Fried, one of the industry's most prominent figures who has lost half of his crypto net worth in 2022, and CEO of crypto exchange FTX, said Bitcoin has no future as an everyday currency, but as a commodity that can store value just like gold. But on the other side, Blockstack Dorsey sees Bitcoin specifically as the future currency for the internet and has expanded Block's crypto business into Bitcoin hardware wallet and Bitcoin mining. And he actually changed the whole name of the business from Square to Block to better align it with this vision of his. So look, this was a good overview, Jay, of everything that's going on in the cryptocurrency world. But why should Peak Pals care? Well, crypto investing has always been volatile, but the industry managed to successfully create a perception of, why are you saying no to a good thing that's staring you right in the face? I think that was might have been an actual ad through spending millions on marketing and endorsements and sponsorship deals for stadiums. That's the most consistent ad. It's that this is new, and so it must be good. That was like the, the theme. Marketing the hinges on crypto as the future of currency might be a thing of the past as major exchanges actually dial back their advertising budgets and celebrities at least hopefully on my end, question their willingness to promote assets they don't understand. I think we've heard enough of celebrities talking about investment advice. I'm ready to move on from that that phase. Even Larry David? But look, the Larry David ad was great, but I'm not sure he's the guy to go to for investing advice. I think you mean the Larry David ad was pretty, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, that was a good one. Thanks. And for our final story. Business bankruptcies in Canada are moving closer to pre-pandemic levels in the first quarter of 2022. They jumped 33% compared with last year. This, according to a story in the Toronto Star, Brett, this is bad news for so many small business owners and their communities. Go through what's happening, Brett. Yeah. As government subsidies dry up, interest rates jump, and inflation hits record highs, 807 businesses filed bankruptcies and proposals last quarter. Now, optimistically, that number is still 17% down from the last pre-pandemic first quarter in 2019, but we really don't like to see any businesses filing bankruptcy, Jay. And here's how it happened. Proposals go to a company's creditors to negotiate how the debt will be repaid, like the businesses that now owe pandemic loans back to the government, whereas a bankruptcy wipes out old debts but hampers the ability to borrow in the future. And many founders just end up closing shop too, which means that bankruptcy numbers alone don't tell the full story of how businesses are coping. Some experts warn that the current economic realities could trigger a wave of failures in the coming month. But there's a lifeline for some. Specifically, e-commerce companies face a different and comparatively optimistic reality. 
Block, the owner of Square, Shopify, and Lightspeed Commerce, have now all launched credit programs for Canadian merchants. So, Brett, if we zoom out, what's the significance of the latest wave of bankruptcies? Small and medium-sized businesses make up over 98% of all employer businesses in Canada, and they're vital to the economy. But they're also the hardest hit by supply chain problems, inflation, interest rates, and unquantifiable consumer confidence. So they have some uh, troubled waters ahead, but we really do hope them, wish them the best, and we hope that everybody gets through this okay. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, I'm going to try something new. Let's pretend I told a very bad joke. Are you ready? That's not hard to do, but pretend I told a bad joke. You ready? I feel like I'm ready every day when we do this. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Shane.